Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. This is the second part of a four-part series we're attempting to do. We're going to talk to experts from all the newcomers into the Big 12, asking them questions about changes to the roster from last year to this year, their expectations for first season, anything that we can think of that'll help give us, the tech faithful who may or may not be encountering them in the near future, depending on you know the scheduling gods, um, what to expect from these guys, and really get a sense for these fan bases we're not as familiar with their expectations and generally how they're acting. We're joined by Adam from the Sun of UCF podcast. Adam, thanks for thanks for being here with us today. Fellas, I appreciate the invite. Can't wait to talk some football with y'all. It's once again me and Joe taking the lead on this. Uh, we'll do our usual format. We're just going to kind of alternate questions, give Adam a chance to explain them some things. Unlike the U, uh, the U of H podcast we did first, that hopefully by now most of you have listened to, most of us are not that familiar with UCF, that we are not as familiar with the next three. We have no recent history playing these teams, so it'll be a much more new experience for everyone where you know, U of H tech fans are much more intimately familiar with having played them multiple times in the last few years. So let's get right into it. Let's look at the last season first. We'll spend a little bit of time on kind of what happened there, some of the, and then lean into that looking into the changes from it. So kind of a mixed bag of a season. UCF would have a decent season, some big wins, including over Cincinnati, um, a win over Tulane, and then a loss to tooling later on in the year in the championship game um, of falling to Duke and the military bowl. Let's talk about the roster changes that are coming. Who from last year's team that was a big impact player is not going to be here this coming season. Yeah, probably the biggest loss for UCF is linebacker Jeremiah John Baptiste. He transferred to Ole Miss. Uh, he was our uh, our second leading tackler last season, kind of the stalwart of our defense. Uh, so he took his talents to, to Oxford. Uh, so that's probably our biggest loss. I would say our second biggest loss is backup quarterback Mikey Keene, who actually did have a handful of starts last year when John Rice Plumlee was injured. He also transferred out to Fresno State. So some inexperience now at the quarterback room behind behind John Rice Plumlee, where Mikey Keene had had, a, had at least a year under his belt and, and started a bunch of games the year prior to that. So uh, those are probably the two biggest areas of, of opportunity. The secondary got hit pretty hard as well with graduations, um, and, and I anticipate we'll end up starting three uh, brand new first-time starters in the secondary uh, this upcoming season. So we'll have some 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 new faces there. They they played a little bit last season, but it'll be a young secondary secondary that hadn't played together a lot, and they're going to have to gel together. So um, defense probably got hit way more than offense in terms of losses from last year's roster. According to y'all's um, website and things like that, I was doing some research on it. You guys had three um, guys go over 700 rushing yards last year. And R.J. Harvey, Isaiah Bowser, and then obviously Plumlee, y'all's quarterback. Um, it looks like Bowser is either graduated or he left on to, to something else. Who's going to be that guy who kind of fills in um, Isaiah Bowser's spot as far as the running back group is concerned? 
Yeah, so the way UCF um, positioned running back last year, Isaiah Bowser was a, was a much bigger back. He was a, a transfer from Northwestern, spent two years at UCF. Uh, he, he since graduated, and I believe he had a trial with the Buffalo Bills. I don't think he's stuck there, though, so probably still wandering around the NFL free agent land. But Bowser was kind of a bigger bruising back. So think second and four, you need five yards. You know, third and one, you need two yards. Goal line situations. Bowser ended up sort of being that back for UCF. Uh, he had some speed. He had a little bit of wiggle, but, um, but he was more... More of a in between the tackles, you know, run linebackers over. Um, the joke we always made is Bowser had a, a knack for falling forward and gaining two yards, uh, and that's where the role he played for UCF last year. RJ Harvey though was sort of the the future running back. I mean, he's he's got game breaking speed. Um, he can he can move well outside the outside the tackle box. He came off an injury the year prior. He tore an ACL, so he started a little bit slower on the season. But uh, you know, he was more of that every down back. He can catch the ball at the backfield. Uh, again, a lot of speed if he. Gets to the edge. But this is where UCF really has, has done a nice job in the transfer portal. They bring in a guy named Demarcus Bowman who uh, runs a, a 4-2 something 40, previously at Clemson at Florida. He comes in now. He's definitely going to be a speed back. And we have a true sophomore named Jordan McDonald who is uh, about 6'1", 235, somewhere in that range. A really big kid. So I think he'll have an opportunity to take some of those short yardage, Bowser style reps. But between R.J. Harvey, Demarcus Bowman, and even our third string running back, his name is Johnny Richard and he got a ton of touches last year as well. Uh, he's another speedster, another kid who can catch the ball in the backfield. I think you'll see a heavy dose of those three mixed in with some short yarder stuff for Jordan McDonald. And then John Rice Plumley. Uh, I think that's going to be a wild card. His legs are certainly uh, one of, if not his best attribute, but he also got injured. He, he couldn't complete uh, three games last year due to injury. He didn't start another because of injury. So Will UCF kind of back off letting him run that much? Um, you know, durability issues obviously could be a challenge. So curious to see how much Plumlee will have the ball on his hands to run or if we'll rely on that running back room. So I think that remains to be seen. But I think running back's a spot where most UCF fans feel pretty good about the depth we have and the talent we have coming back. So UCF, speak talking about the offense, was ranked second overall in the AAC the previous season and both total offense and rushing. Gus Malzahn's a character that most college football fans are pretty familiar with and are pretty familiar with the offenses he chose to run at Auburn. How has he adjusted his style of coaching to this level of competition? And what kind of changes, what has he learned since his time at Auburn? And what has changed that we wouldn't expect from the coach as he enters his first season back in the Power Five ranks? Yeah, the biggest change you're going to see from the Gus Malzahn offense this year is it's no longer the Gus Malzahn offense. He's actually um, announced he's he's not going to be calling plays for the first time in a long time. He previously called plays the last two seasons at UCF. Uh, in the offseason, he sort of announced that he felt like it was best for the program if he took on more of a CEO-style role um, with recruiting, with NIL, with scheduling, with you know with uh, all the changes going to new conference. So he actually hired a new offensive coordinator, Darren Hinshaw, who comes previous from, uh, from Stinson. Kentucky, uh, actually a former UCF football player back in the day. So Darren Hinshaw comes home now and he will be the new offensive coordinator. So from everything we've heard is Gus will not be calling plays. Now, does that mean Gus won't be in the, in the, in the room designing stuff and coming up with ideas and putting his spin and his, his, you know, his DNA on the game plan? I'm sure that'll happen, but for all intents and purposes, play calling will now default to Darren Hinshaw. And that's one of the bigger questions for UCF's offense. We, what is a Darren Hinshaw style offense? He spent some time at Kentucky. This past season, he was at UAB. They threw the ball a ton of Kentucky. They ran the ball a ton of UAB. We don't quite yet know exactly what a Darren Hinshaw-led offense looks like. So that's going to be a big question. But look, I think Gus... 
my, my the way I always describe Gus as a play caller is I always felt like he was trying too hard to always outsmart the defense, right? So, you know, third and four, they're going to expect a run. So let me run a, you know, halfback pass, right? It always felt like he was trying too hard to outsmart the, the defense. And I think that led to some really interesting play calls and and probably broke concentration at times. But for all intents and purposes, Gus's, Gus's thumbprints are off this offense now, and uh, he's going to take on more of the head coach role. So we'll see what that looks like. But I think that's his biggest adjustment is realizing that he has to kind of step back and uh, and take on a more CEO style role versus being the, uh, the the every down play caller. Yeah. So having said that, I mean that means you guys were. I mean, at least on the statistics side, you guys said were kind of as as even as I've seen across the board. You know, not you know had more rushing yards and passing yards, but it was by a slim margin. I mean, it was. I mean, it was a slim margin. Y'all were about fifty, almost fifty fifty down the middle. So do you think, um, I guess since you kind of don't have any idea, but do you think since you guys are moving to the Big 12 that you guys may pull more in one way or the other, more passing like a 60-40, a 70-30, like what we run in the Big 12? Or are you guys thinking that y'all may just stay true to yourselves in that 50-50 down the line? Yeah, I mean, Darren Hinshaw's talked a lot about how he wants to take vertical shots down the field, how he wants to get a vertical passing game more integrated into the offense. That wasn't something that UCF did a ton last year, to your point, heavy run team. Uh, so Hinshaw's talked openly about wanting to get more involved in the passing game, whether that's a smokescreen, whether that's realistic. It's really hard to tell what a coordinator is going to tell you in March, you know, wearing shorts and a Bermuda hat at the podium. But he said that out loud. So I'll take him for his word. But really, that answer comes down to to one person that's John Rice Plumley. Yeah, if you're looking at his stats there, right? Obviously, you know he threw for a bunch of yards, he ran for a bunch of yards, but you'll notice his completion percentage. Uh, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a strength of his last year. There were certainly struggles from his perspective on on getting the ball on target, um, on on getting a, a catchable ball. Um, you know, decision making with the, with the football at times, you know, was head scratching. The games UCF lost, if you look at the stats, you'll probably see a game where John Rice Plumley struggled in the passing game. So I don't think the question is. Is whether or not UCF wants to to stay, you know, more true to a 50-50 split or they want to do more passing. It's can John Rice Plumley develop into that player. Now, to be fair to John Rice Plumley, for those who don't know his story, you know, he broke on the scene as a true freshman at, at Ole Miss, I think in 2020, um, you know, had a couple of great games. Again, very electric on the ground. Uh, Lane Kiffin comes in as head coach, moves John Rice Plumley to wide receiver. So he basically spent a whole year and a half, you know, n- not being a quarterback, not throwing the football. He entered the transfer portal. His goal was to find a spot that a coach would let him play football. UCF was that spot. He joined the team you know, right around spring practice in March, really had five months to try to relearn the quarterback position and learn Gus Malzahn's offense. And again, certainly some some struggles at times, I think, during that. So will, will another offseason of, of, of practice help him? Will more reps help him? I think that's kind of the hope is that the more time he has to play, the, the better he'll get. But I think the, the, the attack you're going to see is going to come largely down to how effective Plumlee can be in the passing game. Let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. The obvious change in style of offense is pretty stark. Now, I will say this for those of you who, you know, have kind of been living on a rock. Big 12 quarterback play has not been particularly good the last few years. The offenses have certainly slipped. Um, a lot of teams have been breaking in new quarterbacks or are just 
kind of cycling through tons of them. You know, when, when a guy like Sanders was one of the most effective passers in the conference, you have a problem. You, you just do. But the Big 12 is known as being a very intense offensive forward conference. Defenses have adjusted accordingly. You've seen a lot more of the cloud zone. You've seen a lot more of adjustments to a kind of a bend but don't break philosophy to try to capitalize on turnovers and mistakes. Let's look at UCF's defensive philosophy in general. Uh, what would you expect? How do you expect UCF to approach attacking the Big 12? Or what changes to scheme do you expect to see? And what can, just in general, what does the Big 12 expect to get defensively out of, Big, out of UCF? Yeah, another area of, of interest for us at UCF. So um, uh, we have a, a first-year defensive coordinator in Addison Williams. Uh, last year's defensive coordinator, Travis Williams, no relation, uh, he moved on to Arkansas. So Addison Williams was promoted from within the staff, and he's now leading the defense again, first-time D.C. Uh, so we have not yet seen a game that Addison Williams has coached where he's called the defense. So kind of like on the offensive side, some unknowns there as well on what it looks like. You know, what I can tell you from last season is UCF had a tendency to be very soft in coverage. And whether that was by design, whether that was sort of a bend, don't break philosophy, you would typically see corners, you know, playing, you know, five, 10 yards off receivers and, and giving up easy routes. Um, and so very soft from a from a coverage perspective. Addison Williams has, has said explicitly that he intends to be more aggressive this season. He intends to change that up a little bit. But again, wearing shorts and a Bermuda hat at the podium, I don't know yet what to, to make of that. I think the proof will be in the pudding there. What you're going to see from a UCF team is a, a, a unit that has a very stout defensive line. That's probably the the, the best returning group of our defense um, is our defensive line play. I think you'll see a lot of good defensive line play for UCF. Linebackers are going to be a little bit uh, shaky. We returned one linebacker and, and Jason Johnson, um, who led us in tackles last year. Outside of that, we had to dip in the transfer portal to to fill some holes there. Um, so that, that unit has to gel. And I mentioned the secondary off the top. Well, we have some some guys who played some some reps last year you know we're losing three starters uh, on that on that back end and you know I think the coaches feel really good about who's there a couple of transfers have come in Fred Davis from Clemson uh, Jameric Morris has come in uh, Jordan Mask has come in and these are guys that are doing well in, in practice but again that unit has not played together um, it's not been a unit that's had a chance to really kind of gel and go through the motions together so you're going to get a lot of new on the UCF defense and if they hit and they got the right players in the right scheme they have have the athletes I think to be really really good but if if that takes time to gel and if they're not able to kind of figure out their identity as a defense I suspect you'll see some struggles from UCF's defense particularly early on in the season so scheme wise you don't I mean obviously first year DC so there's not going to be really much of anything that's out there tape anything of what kind of defense you guys um, are actually per se running um, if you had a guess or anything like that would you just say a standard um, to your standard like a nickel set all the time kind of deal and is that secondary probably going to be your guys's Achilles heel moving forward just because of the amount of new people there not a lot of camaraderie there not moving forward and then the amount of um, spread offenses they're about to see once they jump on over into the big into the conference play yeah, I think UCF will stay with its philosophy. So they typically run a four-two-five, right? So I think you'll see you'll see five in the secondary, um, and essentially, you know, you got your two corners, two safeties, and they have a sort of a roving hybrid linebacker safety. We call it the night position. Um, so it's kind of a hybrid between uh, linebacker and, uh, and and safety secondary player, uh, two two linebackers, and then four down linemen. Typically, our edge rusher we call that the buck position, and so you'll have your best edge rusher probably uh, more times than not standing up versus uh, hand in the dirt. Um, 
um, and obviously alternating sides. So I suspect you'll see a, a variation of that as well. I mean, Travis Williams obviously has been gone for six months now, but the, the defense was recruited in that style. Addison Williams was on that staff, knows that style of defense. The kids who are on the team know that style of defense. So I suspect you'll see that same shell. Now, will you see more blitz action? Again, will you see more press coverage? I think that's what we'll have to figure out as, as we get to learn Addison Williams, what kind of play caller he is, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of strategist he is as he reads the offense. Um, in terms of the weakest position, I think it's either linebacker or secondary. Again, I, you know, I think the, the, the benefit, I'll put benefit in air quotes for those who can't see me. The benefit is, you know, UCF has, uh, they only play two linebackers and, and one is going to be pretty experienced. Uh, and another one, again, coming in from, um, from Georgia, Ryan Davis, who, who played a ton, but had some injuries. So you've got some experience there. So if those two can figure it out, I think at that point, it's the secondary and who's going to step up, who's going to be a playmaker back there, you know, and can we be more aggressive? Um, and here's the one thing I do like about what Gus Malzahn and, and the staff have done. They brought in obviously some some good transfers, but Gus has had a, a, a tendency to go find transfers at sort of that 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 Division One A level, the FCS level, and so we've got guys who have played four seasons as a as a four year starter, you know, and you know, twelve games a year. So these aren't kids who rode the bench for you know two years and never got an opportunity. These are kids who who are playing a lot of football, have a lot of reps in. So the hope is that that experience you know helps out obviously, and as they translate into the Big Twelve and figure out the speed and the rhythm. But that that game experience, those game reps of some of these guys will hold true and give them that that leg up. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if that if that comes to fruition. But the secondary is certainly an area that if uh, doesn't gel correctly and, and takes some time I, with with the way the offenses in the Big 12 work. I, I, I definitely see that as a uh, one of the things that the offensive coordinators for opposing teams is probably going to keep an eye on pretty closely in game film the week before. Now, we've been talking kind of in the abstract. Let's start looking at the schedule itself. I like to think of these as, you know, you've got your non-conference, which was set years in advance, and then the Big 12 slate. Let's start looking at the non-conference first. It's not the toughest non-conference by any stretch. It's Kent State and Villanova with Boise State, the toughest match to travel to Boise State, um, sandwiched right in the middle. Boise State's had a little bit of struggles lately as a program, but they are still one of the best of the group of five and have been for years. Is the expectation 3-0 and through those three games? Is, 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 would it be a disappointment to drop that game in Idaho? Yeah, I, I think so. Right? I mean, looking at our first year in the Big 12 and, and where you know where UCF's at, I mean, I think you, you've got to sweep the non-conference to give yourself a chance because there's so much unknown, as you mentioned, going into the Big 12. We played Boise in Orlando two years ago. It was a really close game. UCF pulled that out at the, at the very last second. Um, so... It certainly is a team we've played a little bit. To your point, they've gone through some transition, um, and so I think it's definitely a game that, while you know, it, certainly Boise has been a, a uh, one of the the mantle programs, if you will, and, and I hate using the word group of five, but in the group of five, Boise's been sort of a, a headlining program. You know, I, I do think UCF needs to win that game, and I, I suspect that they'll probably be favored going into that game as well, which uh, which maybe doesn't mean anything, but I think on the blue turf, that's that's a must win for UCF uh, to get the season kicked off the right way i mean i think you know you want to be three and oh you know heading into your first big 12 game on the road at kansas state i think that's that's the goal for ucf obviously the goal is to win every game but i think that boise game is the one sort of that one trip up game that we're going to have on that non-conference side now jumping into the big 12 schedule um it's kansas state away and it looks like i mean y'all's road is kind of like Middle of the pack. I mean, Kansas State's a pretty tough place to play. And um, Bill Snyder 
Then you have Baylor at home, at Kansas, at Oklahoma, at home, West Virginia. Um, you guys have seen Cincinnati and Houston prior to, and you all kind of have knowledge of how they run things there. Um, which Big 12 team are you most forward to seeing uh, play on you all schedule, and which Big 12 team are you least um, forward to seeing on you all play this year? I'll channel the inner UCF fan and give you the answer on this one. I think the team that that the we're most excited about that fans are circling on the calendar is um, October 21st at Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, for a few different reasons. One, you know, Oklahoma being a program leaving the Big 12, going to the SEC. I think UCF would love to be sort of a a team that comes in and and sort of a passing of the guard. You know, hey, we're we're good. We don't need you here anyway. Kind of get out of this, uh, get out of here situation. I think UCF would love to be able to do something like that, just because that's the way our fans base works uh two obviously oklahoma story program uh, blue blood we've never played uh, in in norman before so i think it's a a game a lot of fans would love to win but third uh, for those who maybe are unaware um Previous to John Rice Pumley's starting position as quarterback at UCF, the starting quarterback at UCF was one Dylan Gabriel, who is now the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. His departure from UCF was was met with a lot of uh, a lot of rumors on the way out, a, a lot of hurt feelings, um, you know, just a, a lot of animus as he left UCF. So I think there's there's certainly some fans who want to see uh, UCF go to Oklahoma, not only beat Oklahoma but also stick it to their former quarterback, who I think ruined ruined some relationships on the way out of town. So. I think that's the one game that UCF fans have circled um, because of Oklahoma, but also because of the juice factor um, that you have um, from that standpoint. In terms of teams that we don't want to face, I mean, really, there there are two that I circle, um, and it's Kansas State and it's Texas Tech. I think those are those are the two teams that they're both road games, um, and and you know they're both teams we haven't had a ton of familiarity with. We played Kansas State, you know, twenty twelve, I believe it was, uh, for for a one game stint. So I think those are the two teams that road environments. Um, heavy road environments. We know we're going to get a ton of, of, of crowd noise. Um, Kansas State, obviously, uh, the defending you know Big 12 champion. So I think we know that we're going to get a ton of, of, uh, of noise there. I think those are two road games that are circled on the calendar. You go on the road to somebody else's stadium on a crazy Saturday night, anything can happen, man, right? And so I think those are the two games that you circle and you say, okay, those, those are ones that, that give you a little bit of the, a little bit of the scaries. Now we're we're coming to the close of our interview here, so I like to I like to do what I call the expectations game, which is unlike U of H, I will say, where Dana is not necessarily in the hot seat, but he is kind of disappointed U of H is faithful. Gus Malzahn's still very early in his tenure and has had some success. Let's talk about the expectations for the first year in the Big Twelve. If the season goes however direction what would be considered like a satisfactory jump and what would leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth for the first year yeah i think the ceiling is bowl eligibility right so i think getting getting six wins which again if you do the math would mean hopefully we sweep the non-conference and then you have three conference wins in in year one um i think that would be sort of the the floor that most people would accept is bowl eligibility as six wins Anything below that, I think, is going to be met with a, a heavy amount of distaste uh, and a heavy amount of, uh, of frustration from fans. I think most fans have, you know, UCF fans notoriously are, um, you know, 13-0 every year. We're going to win every game, right? And I think a lot of fans do that. But, you know, there's more UCF fans on Twitter, I feel like, at times than others, and, and they're louder about it. So, you know, I think most fans have resigned themselves to saying a bowl berth 
in year one of the new conference is probably a nice step in that right direction. So six wins, I think, is probably what you're looking at from a floor standpoint. I think a lot of you know the pundits and the newspapers and the and the columnists, I think they've got UCF in that eight, seven, eight, nine win range. I think if UCF lands there somehow, I think fans are completely ecstatic. I think that's a really nice, uh, you know, uh, first season, I think for UCF, I think that'd be a little bit above what maybe expectations look like. Um, and I think a lot of fans would appreciate that. Anything over nine wins is, you know, just, just gravy on top of that. Right. I don't think there's expectations, um, that, you know, UCF is going to run the table and win every game. Right. I think again, every fan base wants to do that. And every, every player thinks they're going to go undefeated but you know i think the expectations for ucf start at the at the floor which is bull berth but i think that eight nine win range is where a lot of ucf fans would would say all right if we land there we'll consider this to be a a pretty successful season um from our, our first year in the big 12 this will be our last question of the interview. Thanks again for joining us, Adam. It's been a fantastic time. And I think everybody's going to feel like they actually know something about UCF, who, you know, Tech will see on the schedule of the newcomers. They do see UCF. That's a late game for those you wonder when it is. That's Saturday, November 18th. Um, it's in Lubbock, as was mentioned. It's going to be kind of an interesting one. Texas Tech is coming in to the season with the most expectation really in about 15 years. This is the highest I think most people are on the program in a long time and the highest in the future. By this point, we'll we'll know very well what happened to these two squads, and by that game time, we'll know whether or not Tech fell flat. In fact, we'll know some of that the second week when they play Oregon. But, which I I asked our friends at U of H, we also faced the same question, so I'll ask you guys as well. It's way too early to really know much, but let's put, it helps me gauge confidence level. You're coming into Lubbock for this game. Um, it's a late November game. It'll be pretty cold in Lubbock around this time of year, theoretically. I, I, when I was there, there were some very late coming winters, but it should be cold for this game. What's the expectation UCF fans have for this game? And let's just check in. Do you ex- What would you think the final outcome of this game will be? What, what's like your way too early prediction for how this one goes? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I have to go UCF Homer on this one, right? So you know, give me a you know thirty five, thirty one UCF victory. But like I said, this is one of those games that I think a lot of fans have circled uh, as a destination game. First of all, because you know uh, we've heard a lot uh, on our show. We've had a few different uh, shows on, a few different folks from from Tech on. We actually had the Chamber of Commerce of Lubbock on, believe it or not. Um, and a lot of fans are interested in going to Lubbock because you hear so much about you know sort of it being a, a cool town, a college town. You know, getting tortillas thrown at you. So I think UCF fans will actually probably travel uh, pretty well to this game if they can figure out ways to, to connect their way down to Lubbock. Um, but look, I'll go UCF Homer 35-31 with zero knowledge, zero confidence in that. Um, but this is one of those places that I think is is one of those interesting, you know, you got to see it for one's kind of a, kind of situations. I think we, we hear a lot about Lubbock and there's a lot of people interested in, in, in going and checking out, that, checking out that atmosphere. UCF struggles a lot on the road the last two years under Gus Malzahn. Being on the road has not been used UCF's uh, UCF's uh, uh, favorite thing to do. They've they've struggled uh, losing a bunch of games and and almost losing some games they should win. So anytime we're on the road, I lose optimism. We're not good in the cold, uh, or it's pretty hot in Orlando pretty much year round. So you know anything that that puts long sleeves on our our fast guys um, and makes them wear hand warmers may not work well in our favor. So there are definitely some factors that you look at this game and you circle and say, hey, this is not going to be this is going to be a bit of a challenge just based on those factors alone, and not to mention. You know what tech does on the field. I mean, again, I'm not the you know the closest you know Texas Tech follower, but 
I think if you know college football enough, you got to be impressed with what Joey McGuire's done down in Texas Tech and, you know, him getting that job and sort of, you know, the way he's he's recruited that state, the way he's sort of, you know, cleaned some things up from the Matt Wells era. I think you've got to be impressed with what he's done down there. So I think UCF fans know that's that's a good football team. You add in some of the other factors I talked about, makes it a really interesting game. But, you know, give me UCF Homer, 35-31. Hey, I respect the Homerism. You know, it, it, it is of the original kind of spin of this podcast, which we changed when we lost the rights to the name, was just homers talking about football. So I, I always appreciate it. Thanks again to Adam. Once again, Adam was joining us from Sons of UCF. It's a member of the 1012 Network. If you're looking for him on Twitter, it couldn't be any easier. Sons of UCF is the handle. Um, obviously, follow him there. Find their podcast wherever major podcasts are hosted. And as always, I, my name is Macon. I was here with Joe. Adam joined us. We're going to be continuing this series. We hope to have BYU next. We're going to try to space these out depending on how these things go. We're going to have, be joined by members of the Locked On BYU Network. Um, and we're also going to try to talk to from the news in Cincinnati. This is a first plea. If you are someone who knows anybody in the Cincinnati space, um, or you are someone who, who considers yourself a relative expert, feel free to reach out. We're having a hard Harder time than we can imagine um, finding folks from Cincinnati. I hope that doesn't end up being a kind of an omen for their history in the Big 12, where there's not a lot of a not a lot going on out in that space. I, I would be surprised to find that's the case, but we are struggling a bit. Um, as always, guys, follow us on any major podcasting site. Um, like, subscribe, follow, DM us if you have questions. We're heading into the offseason. This series is one of the things we're trying to do to keep busy. But if you have things you want us to talk about, any sport at all, and if you have other things you want us to talk to these newcomers about, we're going to talk to some of these guys, I'm sure, again, for basketball season and down the line and perhaps in the future when the games are actually being played. As I mentioned, Tech will play U of H and UCF. So, you know, as we go, we may, you may see these guys again. Thanks for listening, Reckham, and enjoy the rest of your week. I'll have this up for you guys, and keep an eye out for some other uh, interesting stuff we do this offseason.